think we ended up covering about 40 of them, which was about my goal. So that, that, that seemed to have worked out pretty well. Hitting the highlights and seeing the Psalms as this God-given music for our souls. Again, one of the remarkable things about the Psalms is that they are man's words to God. This is our expression, the psalmist's expression of pain and anguish, sorrow, lament, joy, praise. All these various things that we find in the Psalms are our words to God. And yet, they're inspired. So they're His words to us. This is God telling us how to relate to Him. And it's a glorious and wonderful thing. So it's this music, if you will, that comes from the depths of our souls. And we find ourselves this morning... At Psalm 100, a well-known psalm, a short psalm, it's only five verses, but packed with a lot of good things. Um, you could almost, one could almost preach multiple sermons on this psalm. There's so much in it. Uh, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of points <laughs> to make in the, in the few minutes we have this morning. But I trust that these are all things that you have heard before. And so Psalm 100 is, is kind of, a wonderful summary of the Christian life, in a sense, of, of our relationship with God and how we respond to them. And so I hope the themes are familiar to you and things that you have heard before. So as we come before it this morning, let's turn our attention to this uh, last psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 100. I will read it for us. As always, this is the very word of the living God. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Again, so ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. May He write it upon our hearts here this morning, and may it bear fruit in our lives. As we come before it, let me again briefly pray for us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, now as we come before Your word, as always, we ask Your blessing upon this part of our time of worship. We ask that you would speak to us through your word, and that you would fulfill the promise that you have made, that as your word goes out, it does not return to you void, that instead it accomplishes the things that you purpose for it, and is successful in the things for which you send it. We pray for us, that you would pour out your spirit upon us this morning, so that our eyes will be open to see, and our ears will be open to hear the things that you have for us this morning from your word. In so doing, we ask that you would make your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so that we might walk in its light doing the things that you have called us to do. All of this, Father, we pray in the precious, wonderful name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm actually going to start in Luke, Luke 17. There's a wonderful story in Luke 17 uh, that every kid in Sunday school learns at least once, if not five times, <laughs> if you've grown up in the church. This is the story of the ten lepers. And you know the story of the ten lepers. 
Um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling down from the north, through, uh, passing through Galilee and Samaria. And uh, he enters a village, and in that village are ten lepers. They're off to the side, crying out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. He sees them and, and says to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. Now that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? Go show yourself to the priests. He's not telling them, I've healed you. He's not touching them. He's not doing any of the other things we typically see with Jesus when he heals people. He just says, go, show yourself to the priests. But it's just as effective as any of those other things because showing oneself to the priest, if you're a leper, you're going to that priest really for one reason, to verify, to validate that your skin is clean, that the leprosy is gone. So in effect, Jesus is telling them, I'm healing you. Go have the priests verify it. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 17 of Luke, as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus has this wonderful response. This is what the lesson we were all taught in Sunday school as kids. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to, them, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And what's the lesson that we all learned from that? Don't be like the nine. <laughs> be like the one. When God has done something for you, when anybody has done something good to you, say thank you. Be thankful. Don't be ungrateful like the nine. And that's an appropriate lesson. It's a good lesson to learn from that story. Teaching our kids to say thank you is is a key lesson that we teach them as they grow up. It's the polite thing to do. It's good manners. It's part of basic etiquette. It's part of what helps build a civil society. And our kids often don't know why we tell them these things. We just pester them till they do. Go say thank you. Go say thank you. But it's a good lesson, and it's a lesson they need to learn. There's another thing, though, that I think is very interesting as you look closely at this story and how the one leper's response is described and how Jesus describes it himself. He asks this question in verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? In fact, that's how the leper's return is described in verse 15. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Now he falls on his feet before Jesus gives thanks, but he comes back giving praise. And Jesus comments that that's what he's doing, giving praise to God. It indicates to us that when it comes to giving thanks to God, we're doing more than just saying thank you. We're doing more than just being polite or engaging in social etiquette. That's for the building of a civil society. When we say thank you to God, fundamentally, a part of that is praise. We are praising God. We are worshiping Him. Thanksgiving, when directed toward God, is is an act of worship. 
And that fits with Psalm 100. It has a unique superscript or, or introductory title that no other psalm in the Psalter has. Psalm 100 is called a psalm for giving thanks, a psalm of thanksgiving. It's the only one titled that way. And yet when you read the psalm, it's clear that much more is going on here than the psalmist simply saying thank you. There's praise to God going on here. There's worship going on. So this is, yes, a psalm of thanksgiving. But in the context of giving thanksgiving to God, it's a psalm of worship as well. A simple lesson that we've learned before. If you want to give thanks to God, worship Him and serve Him. I want to look at this psalm, um, like some of the others we've looked at, not verse by verse, but more thematically. And here's where we're going to get into a number of uh, different points to make, and hopefully I'll move through them quickly. First, I want to talk about some introductory things real briefly. But then, what's interesting about this psalm of only five verses is it is full of commands. There are seven commands in this psalm that we must do. And the psalm just doesn't give us commands. It gives us reasons for obeying those commands. And there are six reasons. So first, a little bit of an introduction. Second, I want to look at those commands and hopefully go through them quickly. And the the same thing with the reasons that the psalm gives for obeying the commands in it. All right, so first, some introductory stuff. Again, a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, The ESV says a psalm for giving thanks. Forgive me for delving a little bit into the Hebrew this morning. It it seems to affect interpretation of the psalm a little bit. Um, But the word there is the same that's down in verse 4, thanksgiving. It's just a noun, a psalm for thanksgiving, a psalm for when we want to show our gratitude and be thankful to God. And I think that fits with the broader context of of an attitude of thanksgiving, not just an act, but an attitude, a lifestyle a way of living that reflects a thankful, grateful heart. Because the psalm really doesn't consider this a one-time event, if you look at it. The way the psalm describes this is, is really as a way of life, how we live. It's, the similar, it's very similar, I think, in many ways to what Paul is calling us to in Colossians 3 that we read from the New Testament reading. You have a new way of life. Put off the old way. Here's the new way. And the psalm hits on many of the similar themes and ideas. How we live and how we think about life. That ties into how we view our faith, which has to be more than just a one-time profession. We don't walk the aisle, get our golden ticket to heaven, and then go on living life the way we want to. We can't do that. It's impossible. It doesn't fit with what the Bible teaches us about our faith. We see gratitude, indeed, as a fundamental, essential part of how we live our lives as Christians. That gratitude, that that thankfulness, results in us developing a a deep appreciation for who God is and what He's done. And out of that, as well, a deep love of His Word and His commands and His instructions for us. Another section from Paul in Ephesians 5 He calls us to walk in love in that chapter, talks about that for several verses, and then kind of follows up the second part, I think, of that 
idea uh, to walk in love, giving thanks, he says, for everything to God the Father. This is a psalm in ins- that gives us instruction on giving thanks for everything to God the Father. So, another thought is, in one sense, this is a psalm very much for believers. This is a psalm for God's people. In fact, it says uh, in the psalm that we are his and we are the sheep of his pasture. Uh, you see the covenant name of God, the Lord in small capital letters, uh, the covenant God, uh, the God of his people. So this is very much a psalm for God's people, for his sheep. But at the same time, there's this little bit of a call in, in the very first verse to all the earth. The whole earth is supposed to show gratitude and thanksgiving to God. The whole earth, the whole creation owes God gratitude and thanksgiving. And so the psalm calls upon not just Christians, but all people to give thanks to God. We kind of get a little put off as Christians when Thanksgiving rolls around because we ask people, well, if you don't give thanks to God, who are you giving thanks to? It doesn't make sense to say thank you to nobody. <laughs> there's, there's a reason we say thanks and, and we attribute the good things we have in this life to, to God and his goodness toward us. I think the question that this psalm asks in that first verse, the implied question is, who's going to answer that call? Who's going to answer the call in all the earth to make that joyful noise? If we think about the story of the ten lepers, not very many. And that's unfortunate. But the psalm, again, is more than just a call or an invitation It's really a command to God's people to praise God and to give him thanks. We tell our kids, say thank you. This psalm tells us to do something that we often as adults forget to do. Say thank you to God. Again, I count seven commands in here. I've seen some people count six, but grammatically there are seven and I think uh, all seven are valid. Um, we want to look at those in turn, and then I'll talk about the six reasons offered for uh, obeying those commands. The seven commands tell us what to do, and they tell us, in some cases, how to do it as well. So let's go through the commands. I, I'll just list them first and then go through them, hopefully, quickly. The commands are all in verses 1 to 4, and these are the seven. First, to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Or another way to put it, I think a little bit more literally, shout joyfully to the Lord. That's the first command. Second one, serve the Lord with gladness. The third uh, third command, come into his presence with singing. The fourth command, know the Lord and know that he is God. The fifth command, again, come in, enter. This time enter into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. The sixth command is a simple one, give thanks or praise to him. And the final command, again, a simple one that relates very much to the psalm we looked at last week, 103, bless his name. Seven commands, make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, come to his presence with singing, know the Lord, come with thanksgiving, give him praise and bless his name. 
So let's look at those each in turn real, real quickly here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, or again, quite literally, shout joyfully. Um, sometimes I think reserved Presbyterians have too much influence on how psalms are, are translated or scripture is translated. Um, and we kind of joke amongst ourselves, those of us who struggle more with singing. Well, I'm not that great a singer, but I make a joyful noise. And that's fine. That's true. That's good. And that's a great attitude to have. But I think the psalm is going deeper and, and richer and further than that. It's literally shout joyfully. React with a joyful shout to the things that God is doing. It's a cheer. It's not a manufactured kind of cheering. I always hated it at sporting events when the cheerleaders would, you know, make you do things. I, maybe it's because I'm just a contrarian. but <laughs> It's not a manufactured thing. It's a thing that rises up from within us. But it's a, it's a shout of joy. It's a cheer. It's a response to what God has done for us. And it could be a simple amen, or praise the Lord, or praise God, said in your daily life as God does something good to you. Praise the Lord. Other parts of the broader church are more comfortable with us than us reserved Presbyterians. But we should be more comfortable with that. We should be willing to say it more often. This is what the psalm is commanding us to do. It's not suggesting it. It's commanding it. Praise the Lord. Do it in worship. I love, I don't get to do it very often anymore, but I love being in certain kinds of, of church contexts, the charismatic or certain Southern Baptist kind of churches where there's a dialogue going on the whole service. Amen. Preach it, brother. Say it. Uh-huh. That's great. It's a res- you know, if it's not just a habit or just a silly thing people are doing by rote, if it's coming from their hearts, that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And it fits with this command here in the psalm. It's more than appropriate as we come together for worship. We don't want to be facetious. We don't want to be disrespectful or silly. My grandma used to talk about going to some of these services and and the women, back when they wore the little bobby pins in their hair, they'd kind of count who was the most holy because, you know, by the end of the service, they'd shaken all the bobby pins out of their hair. (laughs) That's not what we're about. It's not facetious or silly. It's a genuine, heartfelt Soul response to God. Shout joyfully to God. Then it says in verse 2, serve him with gladness. Or serve him, did I say that right? Yes, serve the Lord with gladness. And here's where thanksgiving enters into the realm of of, of both worship and our active day-to-day lives. I've, I've said before how when you see the English word worship, in your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, as often as not, it's translating one of two words, either bow down or serve. The word serve here is the same word that we see often translated as worship. We could say worship the Lord with gladness. But service here, I think, is appropriate because in many ways worship is service anyway. Um, Serve the Lord. Obey Him. Use the gifts and talents that He's given to you as you have the opportunity to use them. And do it with gladness. Don't do it begrudgingly. Remember, the Lord does love a cheerful giver. 
It's not just money, but it's how we serve Him, how we worship Him. We don't come to worship on Sunday grudgingly or dragging our feet. We're to come to worship with joy and with gladness. Again, this is not an option, folks. Come and worship Him. Serve Him with gladness in your heart. And then the second part of verse 2, come into his presence with singing. Here again, we have an idea of worship, and I think more formal worship now, as we come into the presence of the Lord our God. Into his presence we come singing, our voices ringing out. It's a simple command and easy to obey in a sense. And our, our order of worship is very deliberate, so that after you are called to worship, you respond with singing. That's on purpose. Come into his presence. Well, how do we come in? We come in singing, and hopefully the hymns that we sing at the beginning of each service reflect that kind of an attitude, singing praise to God with gladness as we come into his presence. That's a proper response to the command of God, giving voice to our desire to praise him and to worship him. And then I think what is the most interesting command in this whole list of seven, know that the Lord, he is God. That's an interesting command. Know something. We're being told to know something. How how do I know something unless someone's taught it to me or I take the time to learn it myself? It seems like a little bit of an odd command. If I haven't been taught something, how, how am I supposed to know it? If I don't know where to look, To learn it, how am I supposed to know it? What kind of a command is this from God? Well, I think we can start, again with Paul, in Romans 1. No one has an excuse when it comes to knowing God. The only way they can not know God, according to Paul, is to willfully suppress that truth, that the Lord is God. But I think also in the command is the, is the implied command to learn and to study. To know God and to know who He is and to know what He has done. And that's, that's your responsibility. I have a call to teach and to preach. That's my responsibility. Your responsibility and mine, because I can't teach or preach without doing it, is to learn. To figure out who God is. What are His characteristics? What are His attributes? What has he done? Why did he do it? To actively seek and find and learn things from whatever resource I can. One of the great benefits of having a church that has a variety of people at different stages of their walk with God is we can pretty quickly identify that guy knows something. That lady knows something. I can go to that person with a question. They can teach me. They can disciple me. That's part of the beauty of being part of the broader family of God. There's another idea, I think, embedded in this knowing God. And that's the idea that we've heard about the word know in Scripture before. It also carries with it the meaning of love. We're not just to know things intellectually about God. We're not just to be a a repository of doctrine and, and ideas and thoughts, history of the church. But as we know God and know more about him, our love for him grows and deepens and strengthens. Think about the things that you study uh, in other areas of life. The more I studied piano, the more I loved 
playing it. I come on my father's side from Scandinavian heritage. So I started looking into Viking history out of curiosity. Well, the more I studied it, the more I found it fascinating. The more I loved it, the more I wanted to learn more. The more I read my favorite author, Tolkien, and his writing, the more I came to appreciate it and love it. The more I got to know my wife, the more I love her, the stronger that love grows. The two go together. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know him. Love him. As, you, as your knowledge grows, your love will grow. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a test, too. For those who know a lot but don't love, something's, a, something's wacky. Something ain't right. True knowledge of God will lead to a deeper love. Again, a command. We don't have a choice in this. Know God. And then three commands here at the end that really kind of wrap up the psalm and command us in, in how we should worship. Because here again, we're entering into his gates. We're coming into his court, his place, his abode. And his abode in, to the Old Testament people was the temple. That's where God was. We go into his presence. We do that every Sunday morning, <clears throat> coming into the presence of God. Well, what are we to do? We're supposed to come with thanksgiving. We come with singing, but we also come with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Public worship, first of all, is not option, optional. We're commanded twice here to come. Come into, enter into his presence. How many times does God have to say it? He's saying it twice. Public worship of God is not optional. No bedside Baptist. Come into his gates and come with thanksgiving. Which in the next command is, is, is also uh, embedded in there. Into his courts, um, into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. There it is. Come with thanksgiving. Give him thanks. Come to worship with thanksgiving on your mind and in your heart. I'm going to get into the reasons in a moment, but we know from what we looked at from Psalm 103 last week that a key part of, of being thankful to God is remembering what he's done. That psalm begins with that wonderful instruction, forget not all his benefits. And then it goes to list them through all those remaining, so many of those remaining verses. Verses 2 to 19 in that psalm. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, and all the things that God... Remind yourself of these things, and as you do, you can come into worship with thanksgiving. It says something about how we prepare for worship. How do we spend our Saturday night? How do we spend our Sunday morning preparing to worship God, spending time perhaps thinking about and remembering the things that he's done for you so that when you come, you come already <laughs> thankful and ready to give thanks to him. And then a the final command, bless his name again. Psalm 103 is all about blessing the Lord our God. All those reasons given in verses 2 to 19 of that psalm. Bless God for who he is, Bless and praise Him for the things that He has done for you. 
Again, these are all commands. Every single one of them. We must do. It's not optional. Shout joyfully. Serve gladly. Come into his presence singing and with thanksgiving. Know the Lord. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. That's quite a list of commandments. And sometimes we're given orders or commands by those in authority over us. And those people don't bother to even explain why we're doing the things that we're doing. The dictator in the workplace or in life in some capacity. Sometimes that's understandable. It's an emergency. Things need to be done and done quickly and immediately and there's no time to explain. But other times it's just frustrating. Why are you asking me to do this? It doesn't make sense. At least help me understand why so I can do it with, with enthusiasm. Those kinds of leaders are frustrating. They can be a, a deep blow to morale. And instead of increasing gratitude, they weaken it. Well, our God is not like that, thankfully. When he commands us, he gives us good and ample reasons why we should obey his commands. And he does that here in this psalm. Gives us six reasons to obey his commands. First, he's God. That's reason enough by itself. (laughs) Second, he made us. Third, we're his people. Fourth, he's good. The fifth reason is because his steadfast love endures forever. And the sixth reason is because his faithfulness is to all generations. Six reasons. Again, going through them quickly here. The first is because he's God. Again, that should be reason enough itself to obey. He's God. He is sovereign. He's king. He has the right to give commands because of who he is. And we have the duty to obey. That should be reason enough itself for us to obey the commands of the Lord God. But the psalm gives us five more reasons. (laughs) The second reason, he made us. This God, this sovereign, this king is our creator. In a sense, as creator, he owns us. And so we are his, or other translations, we, uh, we did not make ourselves. Either way, he's the one who made us. He's the one who created us. He's the one who knows us better than anyone. Again, referring back to Psalm 103, these two psalms seem to fit so well with one another. As the creator, he knows our frame, it says in Psalm 103. He knows how we are formed. Who better than the one who made us? to tell us how to live, to give us instruction. Because as the maker, he knows what's good for us. He knows how we can live most effectively and most productively and most happily, most joyfully. So it makes sense to obey his commands. Third reason given, that we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture. So here is this sovereign God who didn't just make us and leave us to fend for ourselves with an instruction manual, watching over from a distance to see how we do. I wonder if that will read page 9. You know, how things are going to work out. Instead, he calls us to this unique, special, close relationship with himself. Watches over us closely and protectively for our good, like a shepherd over the sheep. We see God described as the good shepherd who will leave 99 sheep and pursue the one that is lost. 
the good shepherd who holds us in his hands and nothing can snatch us out of those hands. And of course, Psalm 23 that we looked at earlier, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, and all the things that are described in that beautiful, memorable psalm. This is a God that cares for us tenderly and lovingly. The God of the universe who created us cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Well, that leads to the other reason listed next, that the Lord is good. Well, of course he's good. If he's this kind of a God and this kind of a creator and this kind of a shepherd, he embodies goodness. God is good. Good is God. Anything that is good has its source in God himself. Every good thing we have, Scripture tells us, is a gift from him. The Lord is good. Another reason to obey his commands. They must be good because he is good. The fifth reason, that his steadfast love endures forever. Repeatedly in this psalm we see references to, again, that that covenant Lord printed in most Bibles with the small capital letters. The covenant name of God, Yahweh. And here we have a reference. We've talked about this word again over and over. Chesed, the covenant love, the steadfast love, the binding love between God and his people. It's unbreakable. It's unshakable. It's a commitment of our God to us, his people. It never ends. It cannot be broken. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Spend some time reading Psalm 136, which repeats this idea over and over and over again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And on and on and on throughout that psalm. A wonderful picture of the steadfast love of the Lord our God. With steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness also endures to all generations. It's one thing to have love that endures But love unaccompanied by faithfulness is love that kind of wanders around. It may not be faithful all the time. It may not be there all the time. But this is a God whose faithfulness also endures, it says, to all generations. He is a faithful God. He's a dependable God. He's a reliable God. Other things and other people fail us. The idols that we look to, the ideas that we think are great, the leaders that we think are mighty, the warriors that defend us. Maybe we think money is where we'll find safety and faithfulness. Maybe our job, maybe our family, maybe our friends. But there's only one thing that's faithful. When all else fails, when all else is burnt away, the faithfulness of God remains. He is always faithful to all generations of all of his people. Again, if this is true, this is a God we can obey freely, without question, joyfully, thankfully, as the psalm calls us to do. He's God. He made us. We're his people. We're his. He's good. His steadfast love endures. His faithfulness endures forever. Obey his commands? That's a leader I can obey. That's a leader I can follow. That's a God I can serve, a God 
that I can worship. So how can we relate this to us real briefly here at the end? This is an Old Testament psalm. This is a psalm of the old covenant people of God. Think about the depth of this psalm, the commands that are given, the reasons that are given to obey God and be thankful and to give Him praise. If this is true for them, how many hundreds of years before Christ, how much more is it true for us? We who know, we who've seen and experienced the steadfast love and faithfulness of God shown to us in His very own Son, Jesus Christ. I bring that up in part because, one, I think it's true, but two, this is going to be the repeated theme that we're going to see in the next sermon series in Hebrews. If that was good, (laughs) how much better is Christ? Psalm 100, I think, is also a good way to end this exploration of the Psalms and, and this divine soul music. This is a psalm that's the cry of a soul that knows God deeply and loves him powerfully. Knows what that God has done for that poor soul. But this music is not music of lament. It's not aching. It's not seeking. It's not questing. This is a song of just praise and joy and thanksgiving to God. For those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, have come to him in repentance and faith, received the work that he's done for him in his life and death and resurrection, resting on that work, then you also have more than ample reason to enter into his courts with singing and thanksgiving and give him praise and be thankful. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. So shout joyfully and serve gladly Do come and worship with singing and with gratitude. Get to know and love your God and bless his holy name. And in doing so, say thank you to your good and faithful Lord God who loves you with a deep and everlasting and steadfast, never-ending, faithful love. Let me pray for us. Lord our God, we do thank you. We do give you praise that you are a God who is faithful, who is full of love and mercy and kindness toward toward us poor souls who in our sin deserve nothing but your wrath. You loved us with a great love and have been rich in mercy toward us. For that we are very, very grateful and very thankful and we rise up and give you praise and worship and bless your name here this morning. May we take that same mindset and attitude with us as we go from this place into our work, into our homes, our families, our communities, our friends. And uh, may that joy, may that gladness be evident in us, how we speak, how we act, how we think, uh, how we treat those around us. We cannot do this in our own strength, so as always we ask, for your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present in and among us, to equip us and enable us to do the things that you have called us to do. Father, we ask all of this, as always, in the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.